those listening from around the world, this is the moment you've been waiting for. It's time! And now, introducing the host, a strength and conditioning coach, real estate investor, athlete manager, and amateur food critic. He stands five feet, 11 inches tall, and he's on the road to 185 pounds. Podcasting from around the world by way of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome to episode 12 of the Road to 185 show. I am your host, Jared Saavedra. It is episode 12 with David Stafford. David is a realtor. He is a real estate investor. He has an amazing and impressive real estate portfolio. He has 25 properties and near 40 doors of rental units. He is gonna be talking to you about how to scale your rental portfolio, as well as talk about some of success stories, essentially, of his clients that he's currently helping that are just starting off brand new in the real estate investing game. So I think you're gonna get a lot out of it and you're gonna learn a ton. We actually, we had so much to talk about, it's it was crazy. Uh, and we probably got about 20% done of what I wanted to before I had to let him go. But again, this is going to be a great episode. If you enjoy this content, you like that you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe, you like, you give us a review on whatever platform that you listen to the podcast on. I definitely appreciate it. Without any further ado, let's start episode 12. How you doing, man? Doing good. Doing all right? Busy, busy. Wait, there you go. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, well, let's let's uh, get right into it, man. I told you, your publicist that, you know, I won't keep you longer than 30 minutes, so <laughs> so we could get rocking and rolling, dude. Uh, yeah, tell me about how you got to, to where you are today, man, through your real estate portfolio. Yeah, sure. Um, so I... Grew up here and then I was in the Navy for six years, but I came back and I started um, at UNM and I decided, actually, I bought my first house when I was 23 and I was in the Navy with a buddy of mine. We didn't want to rent. So it was in Connecticut and uh, I bought that house and we just thought it would be smarter than renting. And we didn't know much then because we were just kids, but we learned a lot. And I actually wound up losing that thing and having to short sell it because the economy was, this is early 90s. It went down and I learned how to do a short sale. So I went through the entire process um, because I was in California on a ship and I couldn't stop paying rent. It was it was a tough situation, but I learned a lot. Anyhow, I got back, um, went to school, got an MBA, started out at Sandia National Labs here and bought my first house while I was still a student on a loan that was 8.75%. But the cool thing was that it had a main house and a guest house. And so the guest house, 
paid for about 35% of our mortgage, which made our share. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah, it was less than what we could rent here at the university, or I still own that house today. And so then about, I was at Sandia Labs, I started working there. And then about two years later, we were pregnant with our first daughter. And I didn't like that this one was right on a busy street on Carlisle. So I started looking around and found another house. I had a main house and a guest house, but the guest house was upstairs. Bought that and realized, okay, I was in a nicer neighborhood and a nicer house. I now had a guest house and main house rented and another guest house rented. So I was getting more income and my cost of living was going down and I was moving into nicer places. And I was like, oh, this is pretty powerful. So um, so essentially started, house hacking at the beginning. Yeah, not even knowing it. I mean, I was just kind of organically learning it before house hacking was even a word. So, but I was realizing that it could really work. So then finally, two years later, and I was just doing this every two years. And now I have clients that I help do this. And I'll tell you about one of them shortly. But um, I moved into, uh, we finally moved into one that didn't have a guest house. I still own those first two. And then I started flipping houses and having bad service from agents because I still had a career at Sandia. And I was like, you know what? I think I can do this myself. So I got my license in 04 and started the company. And then in 06, I went to give my notice at Sandia Labs. My manager said, no, please just stay part-time and we'll give you full benefits. So I was like, okay, all that works. So uh -huh. it just kept growing because it was 04 to 06 and then 06 to 08. And then I left in 08. Uh, May of 08, when things were kind of tanking, which is a little bit of a risk. But by that point, because I had toddlers at home and my wife wasn't working at the time. So it was all commissioned straight out of Sandia Labs, which was a big jump, especially when the market was tanking in 08. That's but it paid off job. because I learned the hard way. Yeah. I mean, it was just to sink or swim in hard times. And then that makes the times later seem that much better. And, and so that, that I also noticed an important point just, just for anybody listening is that. When the market tanked, I didn't have a lot of rentals in, but I still did have probably four or five tenants already between the two main house guest houses. And I never had to reduce rent a bit or did I have a lost day of rent. So what I mean by that is I didn't have any vacancy because if you think about it, what happened in 2008 and if the market turns again, what is likely to happen is that you have less people that can qualify to purchase homes, which means that you will now have a bigger pool of renters. And when you have a bigger demand for rentals, then that's going to kind of hold solid that rent amount. I'm not saying it's not going to be a little soft, but the point is, even when the market turns, rentals are a good hedge. There's always an opportunity somewhere. There is. And I, because I know real estate, that's where I'm biased and I put most of my wealth and I'm, I'm not as diversified as maybe I should be, but I feel like tangible assets that I can do a lot of different things with, especially with low locked interest rates gives me flexibility to sell on a contract. I can rent it out. Even if I have to reduce rent a little bit, I could sell them. I could, there's so many things that I could do to protect myself in a down market that I feel comfortable and confident in that. Um, and so I, I feel like it's a safe place to put my money. People may not feel that way. People may not want to manage rentals, but <clears throat> we can talk about that later. So I kept looking at the main house, guest house angle. And in New Mexico, as you remember, you know, we, would call those casitas. And mm -hmm. that's really what I look for. You know, it doesn't matter price range, location. If I can get a main house with a guest house, I can really optimize my return. A lot of times it's in a zoning area that's not even allowed. A lot of mine are against zoning, but but they don't really go around looking for those. Mm -hmm. 
So I get a much higher return on those. I have more flexibility ever since COVID hit. They're even in more demand because you can do you like doing do you like doing long term on both both of them or do you like to do long term, short term or short term, short term? Yeah. So I have I have a mix of that. And and okay. so my my probably about 10 of my properties are meeting house guest house now. And so nice. that really gives me flexibility, not only in what you were just saying that I'll, I'll answer uh, more specifically, but you know, people want guest houses for home office and studio. They want it for generational to generational living. They want it to rent out as an Airbnb for more income. There are so many ways people want to use them now that those properties have a little bit of a premium on them. And so I do have, okay, so I have regular long-term rentals. I have um, Airbnbs. Um, I have a killer Airbnb down by Old Town, a main house and two guest houses. Oh, man. Nice. I have one main house guest house near Presbyterian, which is kind of downtown with the other side. And then I have on Harvard, just south of the university, have two duplexes. One's a regular long-term rental and one is decked out for a short-term rental, but I give it to the movie business people. So I have those going with a company called Home Local 505 that rents to Netflix companies. All the production companies come in town right now, Masters of the Universe is here. And so they pay me probably a good 50% more than regular rent, maybe nice. 75% more, but there's some vacancy in there because they have no guarantees on how much they'll be in there. Right. So I'm getting about... And you and you have to furnish those whole things, I right? Do. Yeah. I do, but I can rent them out for about 1500 a month long-term and I'm netting about 2500 a month. Jeez, so, so that's, that's beautiful. A higher return. There's some vacancy in there, mm-hmm. which I think here I'm, I think I'm going to be right around two grand a month. But that's still what 20, 33 percent more than if I just did a regular rental. And I have no hassle because they do all the cleanings in between. Now they take their cut on that, but my net is about going to be about two thousand. So there's a lot of different ways. Now you, Albuquerque is unique because we have Netflix and a bunch of movies being shot here. I know Atlanta does a lot of movie shooting too. So you Absolutely. probably have this industry growing up there too, but there's this ability to really get movie business people in where they work 16 hour days and they want everything set up, everything paid for. And all they do is pull in into a safe garage, walk in, crash, and then do that. So that that's what I have on some of those. <clears throat> um, so there's a lot of different ways. And I also feel like I could do, some people probably use furnished finders for traveling nurses. That's another good one. I haven't done that one yet. I'm thinking about testing that one out. Um, the other day, just out the university, I saw a two-bedroom house popped up on Zillow really fast for rent for $10.95. And it was really cute-looking little house. So immediately, I called the owner and I said, I said hey, can I come see that this afternoon? Um, because And then when I got there, I said, look, I'm going to rent this from you. for I'll give you a little extra, maybe $1,300, but I'm going to Airbnb this out. And he, he said... He's like, yeah, that'd be great. So not every landlord will be willing to do that. Right. But, but you were up, you were up front with him on it. And yeah, yeah that's... Why not? I mean, yeah. also, you know, as I have some benefits to being a broker, a big time broker here too. I do pretty high volume. So I have an online reputation. So I can just tell, I just told him, I said, just Google my name and, you know, you can kind of get a feel for how reliable I am. And right. that, that is something that not every investor can do. But if there is a way for an investor to do that, um, or if there's an agent out there, or you, I don't know if you have your license, are you thinking about getting your license? 
Um, no, I, I don't have my license. Uh, I haven't really thought about it too too much, um, but that's that's an avenue that's yeah. that's a possibility in the future. Yeah, I think it's something you should consider, and, and we can talk about it another time or offline. But yeah, reasons that I I recommend it. Not everybody does. A lot of books say don't do it, but I, I do for a lot of reasons recommend it. Um, but anyway, if you can get an online reputation where people kind of feel the trust in you, it it, it improves a lot of ways. Some of the other things we might talk about. I, I assume is kind of how to find properties. And sometimes when I'm competing with other people for redemption rights or mm -hmm. for somebody's option, it, it, if they, there's a lot of sharks in this business when you're talking about flips and people are scared and they're in this place of uncertainty. Am I going to lose my house? And am I, you know, they're scared and they're not sure what to do and they don't have their trust. So if you can be that, trustworthy person and I legitimately want to be because I want to sleep at night and I want to help mm -hmm. people and make money, then it's a lot easier to... That's what I feel like already sets you apart from most is because you're actually... You got skin in the game yourself. You're an investor yourself where most realtors that, that I meet and that I talk to online, a lot of them aren't investors themselves. So there's a lot of things that they, they don't really look for. They just obviously want to sell you something or help you buy, which is, which is fantastic. That's fine. But if you were an investor looking to renovate or, you know, flip, burr, whatever it is, uh, it's a lot more helpful if they, if they've been doing it themselves and they understand kind of the game and the numbers behind it. Absolutely. And I, and I saw, and I win listings that way because I tell them, Hey, or buyers, I say, when we're walking through a house, I can tell you what it's going to cost, what you might do, how it might look, you know, because I've, I've flipped so many houses. And I think that that that's an important key point too. But also, uh, I tell people, look, you know, why? I have nothing against new agents; they got to jump in and, and do their best. But you know, why would you let somebody who lives in an apartment has never bought a house guide you through the process of buying a house? I mean, you know, it's at some point they're going to have to buy something, and I think they should mm -hmm. put their money where, where their mouth is. And I say that I say, hey, I'm invested in this market. If you don't think I pay attention to this market when I have this many properties, I am going to pay attention to what's going on, whether I'm going to determine if I'm buying, if I'm selling, what am I doing with my, my portfolio? And so I think that's a key point. I do have to keep my finger on the pulse more than your average agent. I think that that's important. So anyway, what wound up starting to happen to finish the story real quick, I don't want to go on it too long, is that I started flipping more and more and I started holding some. And so here's a key part. One of the biggest questions and one of the biggest challenges is how do you find your next property, especially in this market, right? I mean, it's super hard and super competitive. And right now it is a challenge, but you know, um, I, you, I buy them out of regular MLS. I'm buying them from referrals because people I know that know, know I do this. I'm buying them from wholesalers and then holding them because a lot of wholesale deals aren't so great anymore, right? They're all like slim margins, but if they're not good for flipping, guess what? Oftentimes they're really good for holding. So they're still better than regular market value. So a lot of the ones I picked up in the last couple of years is my wholesaler guys going, hey, I've got this house and I go check out the wholesale deal. And I'm like, man, nobody was going to want to flip this. The margins aren't quite there. But I would love to buy this because I still think it's a good enough deal for rent to hold for the rental. And a lot of times those people are motivated enough to consider a real estate contract. So many of the recent ones I picked up were supposed to be flip deals that weren't quite good enough that I picked up on real estate contracts. 
So how do you make that decision though? So if a wholesaler comes to you and says, Hey, you know, I got this house, what are, I guess, what's the return that you're looking for? I mean, I've seen numbers from kind of all over the place, wide range when it comes to like rental, like long-term rental, what is kind of like your, your sweet spot? I know. Okay. So I can give you a perfect example is one of two, one investor had two deals that he was an attorney in Northern New Mexico and he was tired of them. And I, I saw them both and I agreed. I made him a proposal on a real estate contract that was going to mean the cash flow was going to be negative on both of them. He had never raised rents in like the last six or seven years. And his rents were like literally 50% low. Like they were 900 at 975 and 925. And they should have been like 1300 and 1400. Now they should be like 16 and 18, maybe even 18 and 20, 2000. But I saw A, that they were super low and B, that he would put it on a contract with only 10% down. So I went in immediately, my cash flow was negative, but I've already rectified that. This was about two years ago. So I'm slightly positive now and I'm going to keep raising slowly. I don't want to raise too much on a person. You know, I'm not a slumlord. Mm-hmm. I, I have a heart and I want to raise, but I got to be reasonable. You know, there's families there. And so eventually I'll catch those up. But the point is, is I got them on a low fixed interest rate with 10% down. And I also had good equity in there. So it's kind of like when you walk into a car dealership and they go, hey, what? payment do I need to get you to put you in a new car today? Well, it's because they're playing with all the different terms. And so anybody that's thinking about real estate investing or starting out has to be very, very comfortable with you know, just Carl's mortgage calculator or you know a spreadsheet that they put together. I'm a spreadsheet person, so I like to use those. That you can tweak any of those, how long your term is, what your rate is, you know what, so that you know whether or not it's a good deal. And so that sounds overwhelming to some people, the, the financial math, but it's not really that hard. And once they get it, it gives them a real invet- advantage and a real confidence in making a decision to go. Because I was like, man, you know, I've never bought a house where my cash flow is negative. I have to start paying, contributing for this mortgage. But I knew on paper that this was going to pay off and it did. But a more specific answer to your question is this. I just use cash on cash ROI. So I say, how much cash is going to take? What's the down payment going to be? What's what am I going to have to put into it? And then what is my monthly net going to be? And if my cash on cash is ten percent or more, then I'm I buy it. Ten percent or more, okay. For me, it's cash on cash. Uh, for the people that are listening, so for people listening that don't kind of understand that, so if you put just say twenty thousand into the deal, into the whole deal, that's your your twenty thousand in, and your cash flowing, you know, or two two hundred bucks a month. Yep. Over the over the year, that's twenty four hundred, and then you just divide that by the twenty twenty thousand, and then right. you get your percentage. And that's, and that's going to be eleven percent right there. So I'm going to buy that. One. That's the example you just used. Yes, I'm buying that. Um, now, you know, the, there's other factors at play, and if I can get into something like the two I just mentioned that were not good cash flow or way less down, because your average investor has to put twenty to twenty five percent down right now. If I can get in for ten percent down or less, then I'm willing to take a, a smaller return because it's not hitting my credit report and I have more cash available to buy more properties. So it's there's so many variables as you're deciding, but if you're trying to grow quickly, then what you want to do is, is try to usually conserve cash so that you can buy more. You can worry about some of the finer financing details later, as long as you're putting properties that make sense under mm-hmm. your belt. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the so so that's what I've slowly done is just 
I flip a few until I get some money to buy a rental. And then, you know, I, I buy one, then I flip a few more, then I buy a few more. And it's just slowly persistent over 20 years. It's like with any financial advice, if you just hang in there and you be persistent, it begins to really pay off. And key to holds are that as time goes on, each month that your tenants are paying that mortgage, it's a bigger chunk of principal. And then for me, some of mine are 15 years in, it's like, now every month they're paying 1200 bucks, but 500 is going towards principal. And then I just start looking at my spreadsheet and going, man, you know, I've got 25 properties paying an average of, you know, 300 a month. <clears throat> that's 7,500 a month. That's what, so that's eight, that's almost 90,000 a year in equity that's building up just an amortization. That's not even worrying about the, what the market does. Then if you, you know, you take the market going up another two or 3%, I'm, I'm you know, and I'm adding, you know, right now I've got probably, it just depends on, on how many properties you have. But the point is, is between amortization, appreciation, um, and cash flow, you're, you're just making so, so much. So that, that, that really is the key. But one of the questions that everybody asks is, and I got, I've got some young guys that I'm trying to take the lessons I learned in 20 years you know, 25 years and giving it to them and saying, Hey, here's all the things I learned. Here's what not to do. Here's what to do. And so I've got two guys right now. One of them, uh, just got out of, they both just got out of the military. One about three years ago and one maybe about two years ago, but he hadn't bought a property yet. He was one of my tenants. So I'm going to give you these two stories real quick because I think these are really key. Yeah, absolutely. I love stories. I want to hear. Okay. So one of the guys like me, he got out of the Navy and he, he, had his parents co-sign on his first owner-occupant house. So he only had to put 5% down. He bought that. He fixed it up a little bit himself. He rented it out. And then he bought a fourplex, um, moved into one of those, cleaned it up, rented them out, bought a triplex. This is all in three years. He's 26. And now Man. tomorrow, no, Tuesday, tomorrow, Thursday this week, two, two days from now. He's closing on two triplexes right next to each other. That's going to be his sixth property in three years. And so he's going to have two tri three triplexes, a fourplex, and two sing a single family home with a guest house and another single family home. And That's amazing. Like 26 or 27. And so, so, well, let me ask you this with, with that specific example, because I think there's a lot of people who, you know, they're probably thinking in their mind, how is this guy qualifying? For these homes and financing. That's what scares people yeah. um, on it. Well, so so that's that's another interesting thing. You, not everyone who hears this may know what Sandia Labs is, but you do. But it, it's a very conservative place, right? I come from from military Sandia Labs, so I'm fiscally conservative. And people, when I left Sandia to do real estate, people are like, "You're crazy! You know, you're you must be a risk taker." And and I'm a calculated risk taker. Yeah, you have to take some risks to do real estate, but you don't have to take crazy risks once you understand real estate, once you understand the math. So what he's been doing is he has been able to buy... Every year, he buys another owner-occupied. Now, he bought more than just every year because he's already on the sixth property. But what he was able to do for the, the two triplexes he's closing on Thursdays, he's he's putting down 20% uh, on those. So he's not, he's not able to buy those owner-occupied. But... He was able to refi two of his earlier properties because he fixed them up, just kind of the burn method, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. he fixed them up and the market went up. So he pulled 130 grand out 
of those two already. And those are becoming his down payments of the triplexes. So it's 60 and 60. So he's got 120 to buy on Thursday. So that'll leave him with 10. So he'll be a little low on cash there. But the point is, is he's trying to buy as many properties as quickly as he can. Now, uh, the to get more details of what you're saying, every time he buys, the rent from the, and this is where lending has gotten a little bit liberal, again, a little more flexibility. It's not 2007 again, and never will be, but they're, they're loosening up a little bit. And so he's able to count the rents from his past. As soon as he moves out of one, he's able to count the rent on that new rental and count the rents on the one he's buying so that his debt to income ratio isn't even affected because the rents are good enough right now on the properties he's buying that his, they're pretty much offset. So is it, is it still a hundred percent? Cause what, what I've, I mean, what I've had to do on, on my rental property this last year, I mean, it's, it's 75%. Um, so, so he's, remember he's mixing in buying owner occupied with mm -hmm. buying finance, right? So he's trying to buy owner occupied as often as he can, like every year, like, okay, owner occupied mm -hmm. 5% down. And then he's saving up as much money as he can. And he's refinancing. And he's getting as creative as he possibly can because on the four triplexes, he's got to put the 120, he's got 120 to put out Thursday, which is crazy. But he pulled that 120 from the refis on the earlier ones that he fixed up a little bit of equity on his own equity plus the market went up. So he's, he's been in a good place to do this the last three years because what better three years could he have been doing it? So he has that, that benefit on, you know, timing was a good benefit for him, but he's still taking advantage of that. You know, it's, it's a matter of being prepared to take advantage of opportunities that, that, that makes people accelerate quicker, right? So that's what he's doing. So he's able to um, really not hit his debt to income ratio and use the refi money and to be able to do this. And then I'll, I'm, I'm gonna talk to him more after we close on Thursday to see what the next plan is. But I think what our next plan will be, will be an owner occupant again later this year. And then he'll rent out the house he's in and so he'll buy that 5% down, which at this point, he's starting to get some cash flow building up. So he's able to, now he's starting to have a snowball of more and more cash flow. So I think by the end of this year, we'll buy another owner occupied because it will have been a year since he bought it. And so if every year he's buying an owner occupied and he's pulling out what he can from the ones he bought a couple of years ago, he's just, and now cash flow is starting to build. He's really getting this snowball and momentum that's, that's carrying him. And so, um, it, it, what's your what's your recommendation when people do this strategy? The owner occupy they they live there, they stay there for the year if it's FHA, whatever it is, and they stay there and they leave. Do you do you suggest people to put that uh, that home that triplex duplex whatever it is into an LLC or does well, it? Well, so I'm not an attorney, but I can tell you why it's good to do some of those things. Um, the main reason in real estate, I mean, there's accounting reasons, but the main reason in real estate for, for putting things into an LLC is because of liability. Mm -hmm. So you just don't want to get sued for something or somebody getting hurt. But there are other ways to protect you from that. You can, you know, homeowner's insurance protects you from that. If you get an extra, you know, you might, you got to pay attention to your homeowner's insurance on that. But also you can do a general liability umbrella policy. Um, I do LLCs, but from what I understand from, from attorneys that I've talked with, if you were ever untitled, if I take it one that I was untitled in my own name and I put it into an LLC, 
then I still have limited protection because I was on chain of title individually. And so it is possible that I could still be found liable, but I, you know, I'm not an attorney and I don't want to test that in court, right. but right. that people need to talk to an attorney that sets up LLCs and, you know, partnerships and does asset protection to determine how they want to do it. Right now, I do purchase any property that I don't have to personally finance in LLCs for that reason. Um, I don't do an LLC for every property just because the accounting gets burdensome, but I do maybe for two to four properties in an LLC, and then I'll do another LLC and I'll do a couple of properties in there. Now, if you're flipping houses, it makes sense to buy it in an LLC, flip the house and then burn that LLC, just let that LLC close because then then there's more proper protection. Maybe you flip two or three in that LLC and then be done with it. Okay. Does it, does it, doesn't it help you from like a tax perspective though? Is if, if your lender asks like, Hey, do you have any other, uh, you know, do you own any other homes? And you say, well, I, my, technically my business does, um, does that help or does that help your debt to income? Um, it, it, it does in a way. So if you're personally qualifying then, and you personally qualify for the loan on that, even if you stick it in an LLC, it doesn't change anything. You still have that liability against you. But for me at this point in the game where real estate is my career, is my business and my tax return shows like I can't, when I flip a house, it's not, you know, capital gains. How long did I hold it? It's regular ordinary income for me. So, so I'm taxed a shitload more on, mm-hmm. on, yeah, no, on say whatever you want. Yeah, uh, I am taxed a lot more on the, on what I make on a flip, but every, all of my, uh, uh, the way I qualify, it, it does get a little bit convoluted, but the way I qualify, uh, it, it, it's helpful at this point because of the way my LLCs show the money, but it's it's a little bit more than we want to go into here. A, because yeah. it's convoluted, and B, because I let my accountant and my lender. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I will say this, one important point is once you find a really good lender that knows their stuff, like they're not new to this, they know their stuff, and they give you good rates and fees um, and you can trust them, which is what I have. Then that lender has everything I need. And even though it's very, I am really hard to qualify just because of all of my stuff. Um, she makes it happen and she can make it happen quickly because she just gets an update from my bookkeeper on all the things she needs. So that's kind of important is you find a really good lender that knows their stuff and you stick with them and that'll make life a lot easier because they'll say, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's how to navigate it. Cause you you know, for instance, I'm coming up on the limit of 10 mortgages. You can only have 10 residential mortgages, then you have to roll something into a commercial mortgage. Now, because rates are gone up, I'm like, oh man, do I really want to roll something into 6% when I'm locked at 4% on these others? No. So there's, but what you can do on that, and this is what Matthew will eventually start doing, but he's my Navy guy, is even if you have 10 mortgages, they can't prevent you from buying another owner-occupant. So he can get an 11th one, or an owner-occupant purchase. So he'll do that. And then another year later, he'll do another owner-occupant. And so you can still add mortgages. He just can't, once he hits 10, buy another investment one with a mortgage. But at some point, he'll have his lower, his last, his first ones dropping off, or he'll roll some of them into a commercial loan, and then he'll keep buying and using this, you know, the beneficial financing of the owner-occupant buying. And so that, yeah. yeah, he's really going after it. And and his job, he, he doesn't make a ton of money, but what he does is he has good credit and his debt to income is just this, and he's using cash from the other properties. 
So he's just, he's, and he's just being persistent, you know, like mm-hmm. over time, he's just like, okay, I'm, this is the plan. So my other guy just closed on one, his first one three weeks ago, he's used his VA loan and he was one of my tenants. And that's and 0% down, correct? They're down. And he bought a main house with two, two apartments on it. It's really a triplex, but so he was paying me a thousand dollars a month for rent in one, in a place. And he had gotten out of the military not too long ago. He has good credit. And he said, Hey, can you help me find a house? And I said, yeah, but if you're willing to not just go find a house that you can afford to move into it, but if you're willing to, you don't have kids yet. He has a girlfriend, but don't have kids. If you're willing to move into a, not the greatest area and a triplex and live in one of those units for a year or two, I can really show you how to accelerate, you know, your wealth building in real estate. He's like, yeah, I'd love to learn about that. Sure enough, we find him a triplex in an okay area. It's not sketchy. It's actually better than the place he's renting for me. And <laughs> he, he, he got it for 300,000, zero down. His total mortgage is 1,700 a month. He's getting 800 and 600 from the two tenants, which are low. They both could bump up price, 150. And so that means that his share of the mortgage will be 300 and he's moving into a nicer, bigger place than he was in. So he's going to live there for 300 a month plus water. He'll pay water for everyone. So it's usually a little bit more. So in the meantime, he's going to, he's like, and he goes, I can't believe this. He closed on it like three weeks ago. So he's moving into this nicer place and his, his cost of living is going way down. And so he's like, well, what's the next plan? And I was like, well, you know, you can't use VA again. He wouldn't have enough room in this VA, although we have to look a little closer to see when he would. Because you can buy two houses on VA now. Oh, wow. Okay. Just one. But um, so I said, look, just save up the 20% down because you're not paying. You're not paying 700 a month. We just go from you're paying rent to your new mortgage. You should at least be saving your 700 a month. And if you can save more than that, then let's just save up as much as you can over the next year. If it takes two years, that's okay. And in his case, it might take two years. But until we've got the 20% down and then we buy another property. And then, uh, although, wait, we don't even need to do 20% down. See, I'm scratched out. I'm already jumping ahead. He's going to have to eventually. But he's going to do the 5% down. So that's going to make it easy. So his goal is to try to do it in 12, 16 months to where he's got enough money to where he can do another owner-occupant purchase. Won't be VAs, won't be zero down. It'll be 5% down. And so he's going to buy something like that main house, guest house. And then when he moves out, he'll be able to rent the main place he's in for probably about 1100. So it was, his share was 300, but I think he'll be able to raise the rents on the other two to make it down to about 100. So he'll be netting probably about a thousand a month off that property next year when he moves out. And I mean, that's, pretty awesome. That is amazing for someone that age. I mean, I'm just learning all this stuff, you know, I just, yeah, uh, at at this age. So for someone to be doing that is pretty impressive and it's, it's possible. And that's, that's, that's part of why I even started this show is to talk to people like you to give, you know, help people uh, give these strategies to them and show them that, yeah, people are doing it all the time. You just gotta, you gotta learn how to play the game. Yep. Yep. So to, I, I, I know we don't have a lot more time, but what the other thing that I would, I would touch on is that, you know, the ways to, to get properties is it's hard to find anything in MLS, right? But it's putting the word out there. It's going to auctions uh, on the courthouse steps. Those are still good ways to do it. I don't know how redemption rights works in, in Georgia, but in New Mexico, that's kind of the cutting edge of finding properties is 
track, even if you have no money, there's a lot of bird dogs out there that are tracking down people that have missed their third payment. The list pendants have been filed and they knock on doors and they let, they say, Hey, you know, we'll give you, you know, hundred dollars now to sign over your redemption rights and 10,000 if we execute them. And that means that if they lose the property and we redeem the property, meaning we buy it back from the courthouse sale, then does anybody, anybody that gets foreclosed on across the country has the right to buy that back. And I think most people probably know that, but, but some don't know that. And that redemption mm-hmm. right is transferable, which means it's transferable. You can charge somebody for it. So that's what's happening here in New Mexico is everybody's chasing redemption rights. And then you, they redeem the property. And so that's another way to do it. And that doesn't take a lot of money. It does take a lot of time. But if you're able to track down people that are in trouble and offer to buy their right of redemption to buy that property back, if it does foreclose, then at least they get some money. If the bank, I always say this to people, don't let the bank determine all of your future. Every move that happens, you have some control, even if it's just to get money for your redemption rights. Mm-hmm. But you can have some control even before then because a lot of people stick their head in the sand when they're in trouble. And you have to find a way through to that their psyche and say, wait a minute, you just stick your head in the sand. You are giving complete control to the bank, and they're going to screw you. It's not Absolutely. that the intention is to screw you. It's just that the process that they use is going to screw you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, if people understand that, then they tend to start to slow down and listen to you. They realize that you're actually trying to help them. They uh, some traction on that. So, Absolutely. let's see. Uh, I had a couple of notes just before I called you. You know, people put out a lot of mailers and websites. You see signs everywhere. I haven't done that too much. I used to, but then when Obama took office, everybody thought he was going to take them from the close. So they, that was their answer when I called them. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things to do is dig for numbers a little bit more, like the example that I gave you, where, you know, even though the cash flow is going to be literally negative, I could see the other positives. And that's why there was no competition. I, there was nobody else buying for those properties. And they're two really good ones for me. Now, um, my guest house thing, which is something that I kind of fell into early on, is something that I think is interesting that a lot of people uh, don't know about, but it's kind of a different niche market or property that I specifically actively, aggressively look for. And so things like that. But there's, it, you know, sometimes you get houses on the MLS that don't have photos. Mm-hmm dismisses those sometimes they've been on the market a really long time and you might just be there right place right time the seller is right. frustrated i've picked up a few like that and so they'll, they'll let it go for yeah we're a lot less yeah if they're I mean, that frustrated they want to get out they and their realtor didn't probably didn't do a great job of getting photos for them i think that's an opportunity for a lot of people it is now those are needle in a haystack but reality mm-hmm. when you're starting out in this and you'll have a ton of money, it's really time. What do you got? You got to put your time in. You know, I, I did this late at night when after kids went to bed for a lot of years and it just eventually that, that stuff pays off. But, and then that, you know, I, I think my best encouragement to somebody doing this is that the first few years are hard and then you really start to feel the traction. Once you're already feeling it, I think. And once Get you start, absolutely, it's kind of gets exciting. And then, you have more energy and excitement, which is like a, a wind at your back. It's really pushing you instead of that wind at your front. You start to feel that wind turn. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm, I was excited when I started. It got really hard. A lot of people quit then. You push through that hard point, And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, this is starting to move. I got momentum. 
And so you get past the inertia, you feel the momentum and it's pretty cool. Awesome, man. I know you got to get that. We'll, we'll end on that. I got to get you back on again. Shoot this. I, I honestly, we, I don't think we got through 20% of what I was, what I was planning on. So I got to have you back again, man. I really appreciate your time. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to contact you? I know there's going to be a, a few people who reach out. Yep. Um, uh, what's the best way? Uh, you can call or text at 505-750-3360 or email me at 360ventures at gmail.com or just Google David Stafford Albuquerque. And you'll find awesome, man. David, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You're a wealth of knowledge for sure. And I think using those two examples of your clients, like that, that taught a lot of people right there um, yeah. to... That, that, that there's ways to succeed in this game. So thank you for that. You got it. And next time I'll, uh, I won't talk so much. And I'll let Jay ask me some specific questions. No, man, that's perfect. No, the, the stories. And I think, I think there's going to be a lot of people that can relate to those. So I, that was perfect. I just got to have you back on yeah, maybe a, a couple more times. So we'll, we'll get rocking with that. So, all right, David, I'll let you go, man. I appreciate your time. Uh, this episode will be out probably next week or the week after. Awesome. All right, cool. Yeah. Hey, Facebook on your new house looking good. Yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, we just got our appraisal today. We'll refinance uh, in a couple of weeks and then see what's good from there. So, nice. yeah, thank you, man. All right. All right, brother. Talk soon. Thank you. Bye.